Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. It seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. Me and Scott were deep in the hole. The opening was at least 30 feet over our 12-year-old heads. The soil was dense and a struggle to penetrate, but we were determined to go deeper than we ever had before. We were surrounded by poisonous spiders, bone crusher pythons, and the saliva from a hungry tiger that dripped from above, waiting for us. This was dangerous work, but we laughed, nay, mocked danger. Well, actually, we were about an ankle deep in the dirt at the back of my yard. A local cat watched with little interest from a nearby wall. (laughs) We were always digging in those days. You know, when fun had to be invented, this was one method. Little grew in that back section of my yard. The sun was kept from warming the soil by the arching branches of the giant crabapple tree on one side and the looming facade of Holy Rosary Church on the other. It was a dead zone, but for this dispersed mob of English ivy that would in later years become a revolution and take over the area. There was also a struggling rose bush that, like an aging fashion model, kept its dignity and class with the two or three beautiful roses it displayed each year with pride. We had many reasons to dig. We dug for bugs, and trust me, I knew every species of insect that crawled, flew, and slithered in that stretch of nature on the other side of 118th Street. We dug for rocks that we would crack open to discover the white or pink quartz crystals that we thought were valuable. We once tried digging a huge underground auditorium so that we could practice with our air guitar band. Another time, as like eight-year-olds, we dug in a righteous attempt to reach hell and dump a bucket of water over Satan's head. Seriously, we would have done it. It was not for the calling of the Mr. Softy truck. Ice cream always one-up eschatology. My Aunt Dee once innocently asked my mother, why do boys love getting into holes? I could tell by the following laughter it was something I was not supposed to understand. I did, in theory. On this particular day, we were just digging for the usual reasons. Fun and possible treasure. My shovel hit something that made a hollow sound, like metal hitting wood. We looked at each other and began digging with more intensity. The edge of a box poked out from the soil. Our hearts started beating faster as we freed the, well, treasure. It had to be. It was a wooden box covered in old cracked leather. Scott reached down and slipped his fingers through the soil and pulled it free and it probably saw sunlight for the first time in a hundred years. At least, we rushed to the short wall that divided the section and sat, opened the box, and we gasped loudly, staring in utter disbelief. Inside the box was... Charles Emerson Winchester III on the TV show MASH once proclaimed, The spirit of April Fool's is far too great to be contained in a single day. That was a terrible impression. But he was right. 
it being April now as I'm recording this, you know, had me thinking how long it has been since I pulled a good practical joke. A good April Fool's. Back in the day, we did them all the time, and the calendar had nothing to do with it. I guess when you have entire days free to ponder the universe from your stoop, the machinery and the devil's workshop of your mind can really get cranking. It was just after I finished seventh grade, I guess. We had taken a class trip to Washington, D.C. I remember taking tons of photos. Seriously, tons. I shot no less than 15 of those 110 camera cartridges. Remember those 110 cameras? They were flat, rectangular, and had those new fancy built-in flash bulbs that didn't need to be changed. Can your camera stop all the action indoors or at night? Extra light can do. The Kodak Extra Light 10 camera with built-in electronic flash. Yeah, that's the one. I spent all my money on film, but forgot an important detail. It cost money to develop them. I ended up seeing only two sets of photos, and the rest of the film cartridges sat in my junk drawer for years. Literally, until I got married and I was moving out. I figured they were too old to bother and just tossed them. I kind of regret not trying a couple. Anyway, on the trip I also bought as a souvenir some of that old-looking money. You know the kind that's made all brown and crinkly as if it had been sitting in your great-great-grandmother's purse since Abe Lincoln was writing his Christmas list on a shovel? It's one of those things you buy and it just sits in your drawer for years like unprocessed film until you get married and then you toss it. Unless you're an evil bugger with nothing better to do on an endless summer day filled with devious possibilities. Then even moldy fake money can serve the cause of sadistic humor. I was in Joe's basement. We were looking for his old metal detector. As we were wandering around, I spotted a small box sitting on a shelf. It was wood, a little bigger than a cigar box, and covered with old worn leather. I opened it to find it empty. But it looked like some old treasure box, something you would see in a museum. Maybe my mind was on treasure since we were talking about using the metal detector in the yard. This looks like an old treasure box, I said. Joe was digging through a small chest of drawers and not really paying attention. He turned and held out a hunk of golden stone that sparkled, even under the dull, dirty white falling from the bare bulb overhead. Check this out, Joe said. Gold. Found this on a camping trip once. I took it in my hand and felt the greed centers of my mind vibrating. Wow, what was this worth? Joe laughed. Nothing. It's pyrite. Ah, fool's gold. I knew all about pyrite. I prided myself as a little geologist. I loved rocks, crystals, stones. The mineral displays at the Museum of Natural History was one of my favorite places on Earth, and I had been there many times with my dad. My mind flipped to my old fake money. An equation was ticking and clicking in my imagination. A metal detector, plus fake gold, plus fake money, plus this old box equals a great joke to pull on someone. Joe loved the idea. He dug up an old dusty book from the 1800s that his dad had owned, plus a really old-looking necklace from his mom. I ran home and got Lincoln's cash. We placed it all in the box. It looked great, real, like the stash of some old time a long, long forgotten. We went back to the yard and dug a deep hole, placed the box in and covered it with soil. We packed down the dirt and spread leaves and dried soil over it to camouflage the dig site. Now, we needed a victim. Christopher and Jennifer had gone to their cousins. My sisters, Laura and Chrissy, were out with my mother. My older sisters would never believe the joke. It would have to be Scott. He had gone with his uncle downtown, but he was supposed to be back shortly. Joe brought the metal detector upstairs, and we waited on the stoop, snacking on Frito's spicy hot corn chips and Pepsi. When Scott arrived, the trap was set. It would be a cinch to lure him. Joe started the script. Hey, I found the metal detector. Really? Cool. Does it work? Scott asked. Haven't tested it yet. We should try it in my yard, I suggested. 
When the stoop was dripping with heated boredom, Annie's suggestion had one answer. Yes, of course. Scott followed me through my house, into my yard. Gypsy, our white web, greeting us and weeding the way out. Joe popped his head over the wall that divided our yards, and he lifted the metal detector, and they pulled it over as Joe jumped down. We went to the back, and Joe turned on the device, placing headphones over his ears. Scott and me watched, watching Joe's expression. It was easy to read his thoughts. Nothing. Nothing. Wait. What was that? No, nothing. Nothing. Wait. Wait. Something. Something. Joe smiled wide and took off the headphones. Something metal under the dirt right here, he said. Scott scoffed. Probably old nails from the clubhouses. I grabbed the shovel. Let's find out. Scott grabbed the other shovel, and we dug. And dug. Spiders. Pythons. Tiger spit. When Scott's eyes saw the contents, his reaction was just what Joe and I had hoped for in our devilish hearts. He actually jumped into the air, his eyes floating somewhere out in front of his head like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. He was yelping and laughing and grabbing handfuls of the old money and almost drooling on it. Joe and I played along with equal fervor. But there was nothing like the sight of someone who truly, positively was certain that work, any job, would never be required in our lives. We were rich. Some museum was going to pay us millions. Then Joe said something that exploded like a pragmatic firecracker. It's Mike's yard. It's his treasure. Scott's entire demeanor melted. Oh, yeah, he said. Then his eyes widened and he looked at me. Mike, I'll trade you stuff for some of that old money. Well, the driver's seat had my butt print on it, didn't it? Like what, I asked. I could smell the wheels of his brain spinning. There was a single commodity at that age that would tempt me to trade pints of my old blood for. It was my obsession comic books, and specifically Marvel comic books. My own collection wasn't bad and it was growing. Scott also had a decent collection, but Scott's oldest brother Billy had a collection to dream for. I remember Scott opening the closet in his brother's room. It was the Holy of Holies, and the waft of silver age paper tickled my nostrils like a fine wine would a vintner. I couldn't believe the issues he had. Avengers number one, X-Men, the first dozen or so issues. Captain America, Daredevil, The Defenders, all single-digit issues, and the veritable arc of the comic book covenant, the first issue of Fantastic Four, in mint condition. So I stood in my yard, staring back, sending brainwaves of my offer to Scott's brain. He must have read my signals loud and clear, because suddenly he blurted out, Comic books! Joe chimed in, I think you need to give Mike at least ten issues for a single bill. That money is probably from the Revolutionary War times. Okay, Scott agreed. Micronauts, I have them all. So do I, I said. Uh, How about a few issues of the Avengers? Which issues, I asked. I I have the last ten. So do I. Uh, Scott was thinking. I have the giant-sized comic of Superman vs. Spider-Man. I had that too. And the giant comics were kind of lame, but I knew what I wanted. How about... What? Scott wondered suspiciously. You have some old ones. Well, my brother does. You said he never looks at them. He'd kill me. I'll give you five of these for... Mike, Joe interrupted. I looked at him and he held up three fingers. I nodded. I corrected my offer. I'll give you three of these... For what? Scott was getting antsy. Fantastic for... Okay, I have have number uh, 53. That's pretty old. It's a 12-cent issue. I shrugged. No. 
I want number one. Scott's eyes bug. What? Get the fudge out of here. That's worth a lot. This money is worth a lot, too. Priceless, Joe said. Museums will pay tons for that stuff. I could see Scott's mind at work on his face. His eyes gazed down at the old cash in the box. At the gold. Give me the gold, too, Scott counter offered. I looked to Joe. He held up four fingers. Five bills, I offered. Joe looked at me. I said four. I just shrugged. I could tell Scott's mind was racing, and it took a few drives around the block, sitting at the red lights too long to ponder. Then suddenly burned the rubber and came to a screeching halt. Let me see if I can get it. Scott rushed into the house, and Joe and me cracked up laughing. About a half hour later, me and Joe were back on the front stoop. The box of loot was by our side. We saw Scott emerge from his building with a paper bag. He looked like a cat who had just kidnapped a canary. He stepped up to the stoop with a determined glare and said, I want six bills and the gold, and you can have this. I looked at Joe, and the smiles on our faces cracked, and we exploded into laughter as a confused Scott looked back. Joe handed Scott one of the bills. Read the bottom. Scott snatched the bill and read the fine print. Printed 1978. He looked up. You bastards. We all laughed. No hard feelings. Actually, Scott seemed relieved. He removed the comic book from the bag. It was not fantastic for number one, but some early issue of the Avengers. Worth a few bucks, but not the gold mine of that dream comic. My brother would have kicked my ass. We laughed again and went through the entire plot with Scott as we sat under that summer sun on our stoops of Atlantis. This, by the way, will be my last episode of Stoops of Atlantis. April Fool. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.